The Gist is brought to you by Texture, the mobile app that lets you tap directly into the world's most popular magazines anywhere, using your phone or tablet. Dive deeper into Vogue, People, Esquire, Time, and hundreds more with interactive content for a richer reading experience. Right now, try Texture for free at texture.com slash gist. That's texture.com slash gist. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Thursday, February 18th, 2016. From Slate, it's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. Principle, process, precedent. We're being hit with all three. Democrats say it's a principle that Republicans need to act on a Supreme Court nominee. The Dems are making an argument that the principle is we demand adherence to the process. Perhaps we should have adherence to the process, perhaps not. I happen to think that's a losing argument, slightly off the point, but I don't think it's a winning argument because I don't think people really care about process. They don't even care about it when the job is to appoint the ultimate overseer of process, a justice in the highest court to interpret the Constitution. A poll from the Wall Street Journal reflects this exactly today. 43% said the Senate should vote this year on a replacement for Antonin Scalia versus 42% who prefer to leave the position vacant and wait for a nomination by the new president. Because unless there's a clear contravening of the Constitution, it doesn't matter to most people that the process be honored. What matters is that the right judge be put in place, however they define that. I welcome the debate, as they say, meaning the hypocrisy on this guy or this gal not being a good judge. That'll be something to be worked up about. If the entire court hung in the balance and the parties were reversed, I think the overriding principle to Democrats wouldn't be, let's honor the process. I think it would be, let's not swing the court to the right for generations to come. So we're seeing principles colliding here. Principles are colliding elsewhere in the case of Apple denying the government's request to unencrypt or unlock one of the San Bernardino shooter's iPhones. And here we inject another P word. Apple is saying, even if you promise you're only going to use it once, it's going to get used again and again. And once you create the precedent of giving that access once, you're not going to be able to deny it the next time. Precedent. That's CNET's Dan Ackerman saying you create a precedent. The argument of a precedent is another attempt to appeal to a different principle, right? Because maybe you thought the principle was protect us from terror. That's a principle. But if we get to redefine the overriding principle as let's not have our private companies give away our data, then that's something else to think about, right? Because if it's true that there is a precedent and then the government could request unencryption anytime it wants, well, yeah, that, that is a different principle other than the protect us from terrorism principle. Because as people, what we want is this. We want outcomes. As voters, we want solutions. As citizens, we ask for results. An adherence to a higher principle or a deference to process sometimes thwarts this immediate need. We don't like it. We don't understand it. It seems bureaucratic. We don't like being told that it's better for us in the long term. Sometimes that's true, but we suspect oftentimes it's just rhetoric. Like, why can't the principle be We'll protect all the iPhones except for the iPhones of murderers. Or even go further. We'll protect all the iPhones except when anyone commits an act of terrorism that kills people. So not just the terrorists that don't do their job and not just the murderers that aren't terrorists. That very narrow carve out for the murdering terrorists. Then we could crack open their iPhone. But you know what? I, 
agree with Apple. It's true that the next time down the road, when the case isn't so clear-cut, murdering terrorists, it'll become harder for Apple to say, no, we do not do this, because the principle will have been turned on its head. And that is why Apple is acting as if it has to set precedent, because precedent will define the principle. I vacillated a little bit on this one in my own head. Tell me what you think. Go to facebook.com slash slate gist. Oh, wait, don't just listen to what I said. I'm going to sign you some reading. Farhad Manju wrote about this in The Times. He said Apple's going to win. Chris Mims in The Wall Street Journal says maybe so, but there will be costs. In the spiel, Donald's papal grapple. You've heard of Ropadope? This is Popadope. But first, Maria Konnikova, debunker of bunk, is on to face down her most daunting and possibly spooky challenge yet. ESP. So I want to tell you about Texture, which is an excellent service if you like magazines, if, even if you're moderately interested in magazines, and maybe the thing you don't like about magazines is there's too many of them, and, or they're too expensive to buy them all, you don't know how to go through them. What Texture is, is an app, it's a system that both gives you access to hundreds of magazines, but also curates, it also tells you what the good articles are out there. It's like Netflix, if Netflix had a lot more offerings, Netflix is great, but you subscribe to Netflix and it's like, oh look, it's a whole world of visual entertainment. This is magazines in one app and very economical. You know, the other day, Kanye tweeted out that thing about how Rolling Stone and Pitchfork should stop writing about black music, so I wanted to make a very hilarious Twitter joke and say something like, yes, Cat Fancy and Soldier of Fortune too. But, you know, those are the comedic go-tos, you know what I mean? So I wanted to find some different, more nuanced magazines. So I'm like, oh, I'll go to the Texture app to see what they offer. And yes, Shape, Oxygen, a Dr. Oz magazine, Outside, they all made it into my text and hilarity and about 12 retweets ensued. Texture also has a special offer, which is a free trial right now when you go to texture.com slash gist. The world's most popular magazines anytime, and the Texture editorial team will recommend content for you every day. Plus, you can make a personal collection so you could go for deeper dives. Again, free trial right now. Go to texture.com slash gist. You'll get immediate entry into all the top magazines and the back issues and some bonus video content. Try it right now. Texture.com slash gist. ESP. You knew I was going to say that. Today on our recurring segment, Is That Bullshit? We're going to talk about ESP. Or, as Maria Konnikova called and predicted to me, we were going to talk about ESP. ESP is extrasensory perception. And I think in the history of Is That Bullshit? This is just from the gut. This is what I predict is going to happen. Nothing has been more full of shit than ESP. I believe this is what we're going to find out. This is not an actual seeing into the future. It's just how I feel about it. Maybe I do have a sense, a sixth sense, if you will. But joining me now is Maria Konnikova. She is the author of The Confidence Game, and we're here to talk about ESP. Hello, Maria. Hello, Mike. And I think I think you might have a little bit of sigh or precognition. Is that PSI? Sigh? PSI. Which yeah. is also has something to do with tire inflation. <laughs> I think it does. I think it does. All right. So I didn't prepare for tire inflation. I'm sorry. So they, you know, scientists have, there's, there've long been claims about ESP and ESP could take a few different forms, right? Seeing Mm -hmm. into the future. That's ESP. Yeah. Reading minds is ESP. ESP. 
Telepathy. How about telekinesis? Sure. That's the moving things with your mind. Mm-hmm. How about teleperceptious? That's when you can see your TV even if you get an antenna and not cable. Oh. I made that one up. All right. So are there any other forms of ESP that. that we have to check? <laughs> no, I think that's There's far seeing. There's moving. All the stuff Professor X does pretty mm-hmm. much. Mm-hmm. All right. It doesn't seem the hardest thing in the world to test. No. Can you read minds? That seems like I just saw it in the beginning of Ghostbusters. Can people read minds? And, in fact, scientists have been trying to test it. So first, I mean, non-scientists have been trying to figure out, are psychics real? You know, are mediums and people who say they're spiritualists, are they real? Um, And this really started with Harry Houdini, who was a magician. Mm -hmm. And he at some point had mentalism as one of his magic tricks. So she w- he would pretend to read minds using all of the tools of the magician. He stopped because he realized that people believed him. Yeah. Even though he said, I'm a magician, this isn't really true. Um, and so then he said, I'm going to set up this huge prize, lots and lots of money. Any medium who can prove to me that this is really true mm-hmm. will get all the money basically that I have. No one ever claimed the prize. Today, we have the exact same prize. It's over a million dollars by the amazing Randy. Love the amazing Um, Randy. Yeah, and Penn & Teller, I believe, are part of this, too. So there's this huge fund. I don't know what it's up to now. It's definitely over a million. It really could be anything, Yes, for anyone anyone who can prove psychic ability. So far, unclaimed. So that's that's one part of it. But psychologists have actually tried to study this and Mm -hmm. figure out, okay, fine, let's get people into a lab and see what happens. So 1974. We have these two guys, Alistair Hardy and Robert Harvey, and they decide to devise this, to, this test of ESP, of telepathy, one part of ESP. And so they are going to have two groups of students. They're going to divide them into transmitters. These are the people who will be mentally transmitting something and receivers. Mm-hmm. These are the people who are mentally receiving something. And this something is going to be an image. So transmitters are going to be in one room. Mm-hmm. Receivers are going to be in another room. And the receivers are going to have a pen and paper or a pencil and paper. And they're going to draw the image that they're getting. Mm-hmm. And so we'll see. Is it a match or is it not a match? Are the transmitters transmitting accurately? So they do this with thousands of people. And you know what they find? That the transmission was blocked. They got fuzzy reception? No. They find that some of the transmissions are successful. No way. Yes. All right. And so then they do a statistical test and they say, okay, what are the chances that given the thousands of people we tested- They tested too many people. So many, some of these yeah. would be a success just a star, just right? on statistics. I'm thinking, I'm thinking of a star. I'm thinking of a star. Yep. Yeah. 100%. 100%. So the, the chance that this would happen by statistical fluke- Yeah. Then they end up having a control group. So they have two people in different rooms and no telepathic attempts. So you're not actually transmitting and you're not receiving. They just have people sit and draw. Mm-hmm. Um, and they find the same number of hits. And in fact, they find that sometimes the control groups did better. Yeah. So you're thinking of a star, but you're not trying to transmit the star to me. You're just sitting there thinking about it. And I'm just drawing right. whatever I want to draw. And I'm not, I'm not trying to receive anything. Same number of hits in that particular group. But we really, really want to believe this is true. So they said, well, okay, we've basically disproven this. But couldn't it be that ESP is responsible for both sets of results? That even though people aren't trying to telepathically transmit, some people's sense is just so strong that it's transmitting anyway. Oh, so they, okay. they left like going this, through the walls. And, right. Yeah. So they left this open. They said, well, maybe it's not random noise. Maybe there's something to this, even though we've just proven to you. 
That who are these guys? In- who who are Hardy and Huxley? What are their names? Hardy um, and Hardy and Harvey. Hardy and Harvey. They seem to be bending over backwards to try to prove that there is ESP. Yeah. So they prove that it doesn't exist, but they want to keep the door open just in case. Fast forward to the 21st century. We have this guy, Daryl Bem. He is a very famous psychologist. He's responsible for self-perception theory, which is very well-established mm-hmm. theory um, in psychology, which is how we perceive ourselves. And he becomes obsessed with psi or precognition. Can we see into the future? And so he runs all of these studies trying to look at it. So basically, he's at Cornell. But for the last at least 20 years, he's been looking into precognition, seeing is this real or not. 2011, he publishes a paper, the result of eight studies, where he has people try to guess the future. So he has students try to figure out behind which of two curtains there's a picture. The The reason it's guessing the future is there's actually no picture behind either curtain. Afterwards, someone will put a picture behind one of the curtains, but they don't know what the student guessed. And so yeah. did the student correctly predict which which curtain will have hid the picture in the future. Some of these pictures are just random pictures, you know, a landscape, a horse, and some are erotica, mm-hmm. so people having sex in consensual ways. He stresses consensual, nonviolent ways. That's interesting. Yes. Um, Although if it's just a picture, how would you? How do you know what sort of coer- coercion went into it beforehand? Very true. Yeah. So he had to explain that there is no coercion in these okay, pictures. What about uh, the landscape? Maybe there was coercion Maybe the there landscape. was. Maybe, maybe the horse. Maybe a bulldozer yeah. was not invited. Who knows? Right, anyway. Who knows? And the These horse... are the important things to figure out that there's no such thing as ESP. Sorry, I'm stepping on the results. Please continue. <laughs> I, I bet that the horse mm-hmm. did not consent to having its picture taken. Yeah, that's right. Horses think it captures your soul. Yeah. 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 Anyway, so he finds evidence of ESP. Okay. He finds evidence of ESP only with the erotic pictures. Yeah, it seemed like so weird that he'd put the erotic pictures there. Well, because you know, he thought he thought on. that there was going to be like the emotional uh-huh. arousal is going to make you because in the future you'll be aroused once you see this right. picture. So that will kind of make you see sense it more. And so he finds that it's about 52 to 53 percent as opposed to the 50 percent, which would be predicted by chance. And so he says, Psy is real. He says, Psy is real. And this article is published. People obviously attack him right away and tear apart his statistics. And the statistics end up being torn apart. So people redo the analyses, no ESP. There have been at least three attempts to replicate his studies. None of them have replicated. I figured it out. The guy was caught with a stack of nudie books. He needed to justify their inclusion. He's like, oh, yeah, I got a 53% finding. Try to undo it. By the time it all comes out, he's on to, you know, some website years later. So I think... Bottom line, people, re- people are legitimate. People are really trying to prove this is real. Um, so far, we we've got zero proof because all of this work has been completely disproven. I mean, the first the first study that that we've talked about didn't find it. Right. They showed that it was a statistical fluke. And this study, he thinks he found it, but others have shown that it was a statistical fluke, and yet others have failed to replicate it entirely. Yeah. And I mean, he, you know, we, we also have to realize that there's experimenter bias. He really, I mean, he's been trying to find Psy for over 20 years. He really, really wants to find something there. Yeah. And he thinks that most psychologists, and this is what 
I've I've gotten really nasty emails after my book came out because I have a chapter on psychics and people have said, well, you there are real psychics. You're being very closed minded. It's like, listen, I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah. Um, but psychics often have good. There are people so, who are great readers of facial absolutely. expression. Oh, they psychics have, are so talented. Yeah. Yeah. There's great ways to trick people. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So so people really want to believe that ESP exists, that there is something to it. We really want to believe that there's something that that's out there. I'm open-minded. If you – and I don't have a million dollars, but I'm willing to set up my own Maria Konnikova prize. <laughs> I'll put up the million. You are right, open-minded excellent. to the point where right now I could tell that you are thinking of horse erotica. Am I right? How did you know? Uh-huh. There you go. <laughs> See that? Give me the million, Randy. <laughs> to be fair, Maria, off mic, almost always talk about horse erotica. It's a little off-putting. All right. So let's do our official result. ESP, is that bullshit? It is complete and utter bullshit, yes. but now it's not yes. because you predicted this. That right. But for you the horse, but result. for the 53% horse erotica result. Yeah, Maria Konnikova, when she's not indulging her other passions, is the author of The Confidence Game, and she plays is that bullshit, not horseshit, but bullshit with us. Thank you so much, Maria. Thank you, Mike. And here's a new podcast offering from the Panoply Network. You knew him from the weeds. You knew him from Vox. Now it says recline doing his own thing under his own name at length, depth, length and depth. That's the Ezra Klein promise from Panoply. Hi, I'm Ezra Klein, editor-in-chief of Vox.com, and I've got a new podcast on the Panoply Network. It is called The Ezra Klein Show, which I'm never going to be able to say without feeling like a terrible, terrible narcissist. But it's long-form, intimate, real conversations with newsmakers, with politicians, policymakers, journalists, business leaders, people who are influencing the world in fascinating and important ways. We talk about what they think, why they think it, what they believe. I've really enjoyed getting a chance to talk with these people, and I hope you enjoy it too. You can find it wherever fine podcasts are sold. And now the spiel, Pope V. Dope. Every day, Donald Trump does something or says something that goes way beyond what anyone has ever said or done while running for president. He sets a new record every time. We've become almost inured to it, like in 2001. What Barry Bonds was doing while on the juice, or or Sergei Bupka in the pole vault, beating his own record time after time. No, it's not a good analogy, and I'll tell you why. Because the pole vault's one thing. You stick the pole in the thing, you go up. Donald Trump, he does everything. He's eclectic. Sometimes it's the things he says. Sometimes it's the attacks he makes. The lies he tells. The claims he claims. The sounds he utters. Remember that one about Jeb Bush? When Jeb Bush... It's like if when Dylan went electric, the next day he comes out, not only does Maggie's Farm, but then plays the national anthem with his teeth and lights the guitar on fire. And then the next day after that, he invents rap. And then the next day after that, he issues a Taylor Swift diss track 24 years before Taylor Swift is even born. Remember... Today is just a few days after a debate, a presidential debate, in which Donald Trump defended himself from the accurate charge that he uses foul language in front of huge crowds. His defense was to accuse the erstwhile frontrunner, Jeb Bush, of threatening a hypothetical mooning 
a presidential debate broke down on issues of whether a mooning was or wasn't threatened. My plan he said about language, my language. Two days ago, he said he would take his pants off and moon everybody, and that's fine. Nobody reports that. He gets up and says that. And then he tells me, oh, my language was a little bit rough. Okay. My language. Governor Kasich. Give me a break. Governor Kasich. Governor Kasich. Make sure my mother's listening we, uh, and she's watching the debate. I didn't did say, say that it. I was going to move. You did somebody. say it. It's been reported we, we, in 10 we, different newspapers. We will leave the moon metaphors oh, to be adjudicated later, I assure you. For those of you scoring at home, within 25 seconds, Trump says, nobody reports Bush will moon the audience. And then, you know, less than half a minute later, he says, it's been reported in 10 different newspapers. And then today there was Pope Francis. So Pope Francis, remember, he said he's not the savior of the Republican Party. There's only one savior. That's Jesus Christ. Oh, wait, no. Pope Francis didn't say that. Marco Rubio said that in debate. Pope Francis was the guy who said, I'm a Christian first, an American second, a conservative third, and a Republican fourth. No way Ted Cruz said that. Ted Cruz, who also said politicians have, quote, a special obligation to avoid being a Pharisee, to avoid ostentatiously wrapping yourself in your faith. Thank you, Ted Cruz, for that. Pope Francis. I remember Pope Francis. I remember who that guy is now. He's not polling well in South Carolina. He's not even hoping to beat expectations in the Nevada caucus. He is the leader of the Catholic Church and, as such, the vicar of Christ on earth. He said of Donald Trump's plan to build a wall on the border, quote, a person who thinks only about building walls wherever they may be and not building bridges is not Christian. So Donald Trump, a.k.a. the Orange Pope, went all Saladin, as it were, on the Pope, and drove back this crusade of calumny with these words, quote, If and when the Vatican is attacked by ISIS, which as everyone knows is ISIS's ultimate trophy, I can promise you that the Pope would have only wished and prayed that Donald Trump would have been president because this would not have happened. ISIS would have been eradicated, unlike what is happening now with our all-talk, no-action politicians. He imagines the Pope praying about Donald Trump. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world, grant us peace, grant me a break. Hosanna in the highest, oh. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest, believe me. Believe me, Hosanna is not in the highest. However high you think Hosanna is, believe me, under a Trump presidency, Hosanna will be even higher, amazingly higher. Believe me, this Pope guy, low energy. What is he? Is he an Argentine? I don't know that there are a lot of Argentine popes. I'm just saying. He was born in Italy. No, he wasn't. Bergoglio wasn't born in Italy. I'm worried. I would be worried. Believe me, the Protestants will sue. I would be worried. Low energy Pope. I also like, I also like the phrasing. Let's go back to the phrasing of Trump's sentence. It was many paragraphs, but that was the best. I can promise you that the Pope would have only wished and prayed that Donald Trump would have been president because this would not have happened. So I think this is the future perfect tense of the indicative mood. In the future, Trump is predicting, the Pope will be looking back into the past and ruining the things he said. This formulation, by the way, confidently predicts this ruining. He knows what the Pope will rue, just as confidently as it predicts that Trump will lose. Notice that. If you parse the sentence, if you read it in the original Aramaic, the meaning becomes even clearer. And as with all Trump proclamations, they're uttered ex cathedra. They immediately become cardinal law. 
even when they contradict each other. Because according to the Gospel of Donald, you've got to keep the enemy guessing. And as Trump once said, two Corinthians and a rabbi walk into a bar, and we are becoming too politically correct. Like not taking shots at the Pope, the servant of the servants of God. What's that all about? We're too politically correct. In fact, if the presidency doesn't work out, and it's going to work out, believe me, he's going to be an amazing, tremendous president. But Trump's going to run for Pope, and he's going to rename the Pope the Trump, the Trumpif. The Trump-tiff. The Trump-el-nunzio. Now, we heard about the whole celibacy, but you know what he said? He had top lawyers looking at it. What about the Borgias? He'll redo the Sistine Chapel. He'll class it up. It'll be tremendous. It is right to give me thanks and praise, for I am the light and the way and the Donald. Let's make amen great again. Believe me. And that's it for today's show. Andrea Salenzi, just producer, studied in college that Twitter war between St. Zephyrinus and followers of Theodotus the Byzantium in 160 AD. Executive producer of Slate Podcast Steve Lichtai recalls the time Pope Paul V called Galileo classless after Galileo said Jesus was bleeding out of his wherever. Andy Bowers, chief content officer at the Panoply Network, is no theologian but notes that the last Sixtus, the last Pope Sixtus, was Sixtus V. Maybe because Sixtus VI is two-thirds of the way to the number of the beast. The gist, we heartily supported Pope John Paul, but thought Pope George Ringo was a little underrated. As they say in the Latin Mass, um peru de peru du peru, and thanks for listening.